observations or any concerns. Uh, again, while things may not be exactly what we want them to be, uh, I always encourage us to have perspective because there were many who laid down last night and did not get up this morning. So if for no other reason, we should be thankful because the Lord has woke us up this morning. Special good morning to those who are uh, joining us online and those who are here uh, with us in person. Uh, as you can see, I'm not Brother Viltz, uh, who is uh, the evangelist here at Hollywood Street. Uh, John Brown, one of the elders, who also serves alongside Brother Viltz and Brother Gathers. And I'll be speaking uh, briefly to the congregation this morning. And uh, as you are aware, we have been spending and agreed to spend some time really talking about uh, Christians and sin. Uh, and you may ask, why do we spend time talking about sin? And uh, it's really pretty straightforward. One is, I think it is important for Christians, all of us, self-included, uh, to be reminded uh, of the things that can come into our lives that can separate us from the Lord, things that can come into our lives that can serve as a distraction, things that can come into our lives that can put us a guilty distance from the Lord. And the other thing that, again, is not uh, a surprise should be that uh, every once in a while, and you get to define what every once in a while is, but we need to do some soul searching because there are times where the world around us tells us what is right uh, when the Bible says something very different. And we find ourselves in a position where we will continue year after year living and doing and saying things that are not aligned with God's word. And we will uh, convince ourselves that what we are doing is correct uh, when the Bible is really clear uh, when it comes to how we ought to live. Before I get to the scriptural text, turn over to 2 Timothy, and you can put up on the screen if you don't mind, but 2 Timothy chapter 3, and let's look at verses number 16 and 17. Again, familiar passages. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 is where I just want to start and then move into our actual scriptural text and give you a few words this morning and then uh, let us be on our way. 2 Timothy Chapter 3, and I'm going to be looking at verses 16 and 17. Again, the Bible reads, All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. While we are familiar with these words of the Apostle Paul to Timothy. There are two things here that I wanted to start us off here because as we read additional scriptures and the message that I'll give you this morning, I think it's really important to start off with uh, an agreement that all scripture, not some, not portions, but all scripture is given by the inspiration of God. And the other word that I will pull out here in these scriptures is that it is profitable. So what that means for us is even when we hear something we don't want to hear, even when we hear something that gets a little close to home, right, steps on our toes, uh, it is still profitable. And it is up for us to, uh, again, identify what is it that I should be learning from these spiritual texts. And again, that goes for the speaker as well. Uh, I'm quick to say that whenever there's a lesson that is taught uh, for the man of God who speaks to God's people, uh, as you're preparing for a lesson, uh, it has a tendency to beat you up pretty good. You got the responsibility to stand before God's people and to share the words. Uh, but if you're studying this properly, uh, it has a way of 
beating you up uh, while you're studying it because you see yourself in some things. Uh, and again, that's for us to acknowledge that the man of God who stands before us is not a man who stands perfect, but a man who stands with the responsibility to share God's word in such a way that we can all learn and we can all grow. Again, I'm thankful for the visitors, thankful for the members who have chose to be here this morning. Our actual scriptural text, all right, is coming from Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19. Again, another very familiar set of scriptures that I wanted to highlight again for us this morning for the reasons that I shared when we opened up. All right, there are things that we hear and that we read in scripture, starting what we read in 2 Timothy, that all scripture uh, is inspired by God and it's all profitable. So what we're going to read in these next few scriptures can be challenging for some, uh, but it's still profitable. And it's for us to get the profit out of uh, what it is that we are going to be looking at this morning. As Christians, uh, I'm going to talk to you for just a moment, and I'll read the, uh, the scriptural text. Um, we tend to put levels and labels on sin, right? For some of us, we will look at some sins being worse than others, some sins being greater than others. Some sins having greater impact than others. But we read throughout scripture that sin is sin. Anything that we do that is contrary to God's will, it separates us from the Lord. And it's only through repentance are we retrieved and we're restored back to a proper relationship with the Lord. And more importantly, when we consider what the world has to say about certain sins, uh, if we're not careful, the world will have us all twisted in the mind. Not only thinking that right is wrong and wrong is right but will help reinforce this idea that there are levels to sin such that what we're going to read in Proverbs chapter 6, because it may not elevate to the level of what we see or perceive per the world standards, many Christians will read these scriptures, will pass right by them as if they do not apply. So my intent is not to uh, be critical of anyone. As I share, studying a lesson like this and preparing to bring it to God's people, uh, it cuts me long before you ever hear it, all right? Uh, so nothing that I'm going to say this morning is let me tell y'all what y'all need to do or let me tell y'all how y'all ought to act. No, I'm saying here's how we need to be mindful of what it is that the Lord says through the wise Solomon, things that we should be specifically uh, aware of. Let me go ahead and turn over. Let's go ahead and read uh, Proverbs chapter 6 and again verses 16 through 19 where Solomon writes, these six things doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren. I started where I started, and we're going to walk through each of these briefly. I'm not going to hold you long this morning, but I think it is really important that when we look at these, because it did not mention murder, because it did not mention adultery or other things that we tend to put up on this pedestal, most of us will read by this and pass by it so quickly that we will not pause for just a moment to acknowledge, am I guilty of some of these things? Solomon says these six things God hates. So I would contend that if God hates it, I ought to hate it. 
if God hates it, I ought to work hard not to be guilty of doing it because he hates it. Let's look at the first one. God hates, number one, he hates a proud look. A proud look. What is a proud look? In the context, a proud look is equivalent to looking down your nose at someone. And I want this to sink in, all right? We'll move through it, but I want this to sink in. God hates it when we look down our nose at someone else, thinking ourselves superior to another. How to bring it home. God created all of us. We all have different life's journeys and struggles, such that for some of us, we see, for example, uh, the bum, the person who's homeless on the streets. And we often get caught up in, should I give them money or not? Let's set that aside, right? And you, you can you search your own heart for whether you should help them or not. We're dealing with this morning a proud look. The question is, do you ever look at people who are worse off than you in a different circumstance that you are in and find yourself feeling a little proud? I'm glad I'm not them. I can't believe they are in that position that they are in, but by the grace of God, are we not on the corner begging for sustenance? And if any of us believe that we are where we are, we have achieved what we have achieved because we are so smart, because we are so focused, so diligent, uh, I'd argue that we're getting it all wrong. We are where we are because of the grace of God. And when God says that he hates a proud look, we have an opportunity to examine ourselves and really, really focus on the only time I ought to be looking down at someone or on someone if it is to reach down and to help them up. Any other reason for looking down on someone, the Bible says clearly, we started in 2 Timothy, where all scripture is inspired by God and it's given for our profit. Here we are reading in Proverbs 6. One thing we have to be very mindful of is that we don't find ourselves looking down on folks just because of their circumstance. And many of us should be ashamed because we've gotten that look before, either because of the color of skin, the job we have or don't have, where we live, what we drive. Many of us have gotten that look, and we know how it felt. So shame on us if we find ourselves looking at other folk, no matter who they are, the same way. Does that make sense? God hates it, and because he hates it, we ought to hate it. And because he hates it, we ought to work hard, y'all, not to do it. So again, this is where we all have some work to do. This is not a criticism for anyone in particular, but it is a message for all of us to be mindful that we should not look down our nose at anyone. Let me look at the, I'll go here too. Again, I'm, I'm, a, little, a little backstory, a little context. I don't know how other speakers, ministers, preachers, how they approach uh, sharing God's word, whether this is through a sermon, whether it's through a Bible class, I'll just speak for me, uh, and I may have shared this before, so I'll share it again. Um, this is a tremendous responsibility, all right? I'm not talking about the act of getting up and talking to God's people. I'm talking about the fact that if you're going to speak God's word, you've got to be real thoughtful about what you say. You've got to be thoughtful of how you live. You've got to be thoughtful of a number of things. One, because it's expected of the child of God who's going to speak God's word that he's living a certain way, that he's doing certain things. But also, I know we're dealing with humans. See, because some folks, uh, 
uh, they, they'll get in your business, right? Or they'll look at you sideways and look strong at you, right? How are you going to talk about that topic, right? How are you going to point out this issue? So again, I just take it very seriously. And there's some things that we need to touch on, I believe, in the world around us, but even specifically in the church, because I have a personal opinion. This is where I'll, I'll have no problem stating when I state my opinion. Here is one of them, all right? Uh, I've been in the church since I was 18 years old, raised in a Baptist church. So when I came to know the truth, that was the most exciting thing that happened in my life. Not only then, but I'm still eternally elated uh, that uh, someone came and brought the truth to me. Now, someone is sitting in the audience, and I said this before jokingly, uh, we go together forever, right? Uh, you bring me the word of God, you done gave me something eternally special, and for that, uh, you ain't going nowhere, sis, right? She knows who I'm talking about. That's my wife, Vanessa. Here's the point. I just take it very seriously that some of us in the Church of Christ have been at this thing called Church of Christing so long that we sometimes miss the forest for the trees. Back to this haughty look, all right, this proud look. I want to talk about single moms for just a minute, all right? Uh, and then I'm going to move on because then it's not intended to step on any toes in particular, but if the shoe fits, you got to wear it, all right? We have looked down on single moms for years within the Church of Christ. Do we not know or believe that uh, when a young lady has made a mistake of having premarital sex and is with a child, the last thing we need to do as children of God is to ostracize that young woman so that she feels it necessary to find love, to find comfort, to find peace, to go get it from an abusive man, to go get it from the denominational world, or to just go get it from the streets. Here is the point. When we talk about this look, looking down, I said earlier, when it's the person on the street who is homeless, but by the grace of God, are we not on the corner ourselves begging for money? Truth be told, let me look down when I say this, for some of us upright, sin-free, straight-backed, older Christians today, truth be told, when you were young, you were creeping, you were freaking before marriage, and you just didn't have a child. So I say all that to say, when we find one of our own who is caught up, I'm not saying we should not talk to them and let them know the error of their ways, but y'all, we ought to love them. We ought to put enough love on them where they choose to stay here, where here is being in the church because we have far too many of our folks, young folks and older folks, that because of our unwillingness to speak the truth in love and to get caught up in all kinds of other stuff, we push folk away from the body. And then we have the nerve to get caught up and say, well, they out there, let them find their way home. I pray to God that none of us get so far where we folks get the attitude towards us that well, he's out there, he should have known better, let him stay. Yeah, we're gonna have some answering to do, all of us, self-included how we treat one another, how we talk to one another. And it starts with, but don't miss this, as, as Solomon is laying out, it starts with the eyes. He's going to touch on a number of things that we have the ability to control or the ability to influence our behavior. A proud look. Let's move to the next thing that the Lord hates. And before I move there, yeah, let me read it. Turn over to Proverbs 16 and verse 18. Two supporting scriptures. Proverbs, Proverbs 16 and verse 18. And then I'm going to turn over to James 4 and 10. Let's look at Proverbs 16, verse number 18, where the Bible reads, 
pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before fall. Supporting what we just said, that y'all, we have to be very mindful of our attitude towards ourselves and in turn our attitude towards other folks. Turn over to James chapter 4. James chapter 4. And let's look at verse number 10. James 4, verse number 10. The Bible reads, Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. We're reminded that as children of God, uh, there's no need to puff ourselves up. There's no need. It's the difference between the pride of, I'm proud of doing well. I'm proud. That, y'all, we know the difference. We're grown folk. Even kids can understand the difference. There's a pride that forces us or positions us to look down on other folk. And if we're not careful for that person who has sinned, who has come under dire circumstance, it's just not about not uh, telling them what is right. But y'all know what I mean. Uh, as, as Christian folk, uh, we can sometimes get uh, very proud where we got it all together, never made a mistake, and we look at folks who have made mistakes and somehow cannot find the compassion to restore them, to encourage them, to invite them to stay in the only place, y'all, where they're going to get better. This is the place where we as children of God get better. Not out there, not somewhere else, but right here. Number two, what does God hate? He hates a lying tongue. Some of us struggle with lying. I'll just say it. Some of us struggle with lying. Turn back one more, one more chapter in James. We're just in James 4. Turn to James chapter 3. Let's look at a few verses here, and then I'll move on, and we'll, we'll keep going. A lying tongue. James chapter 3. Let's look at verses 3 through 10. James 3, verses 3 through 10. Behold, we put bits in the horse's mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whatsoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold how great a matter a little fire kindleth, and the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, so is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. For every kind of beasts, and of birds, and of serpents, and of things in the sea, is tamed, and hath been tamed of mankind. But the tongue can no man tame, it is an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. Therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the mouth, the same mouth, proceeded blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so be. A lying tongue. We often look at lying as not so bad a thing, right? We even have given it levels and definitions. Uh, there's a thing called a little white lie. I don't know how we call it little, I don't know why it had to be white, but we call it a little white lie. 
I got some ideas why that's so, but we'll talk about that some other time. No, sir, no, ma'am. A lie is a lie. Um, they impact the liar themselves. They even impact others, sometimes for generations to come. Y'all remember Satan, the serpent in the garden? Genesis chapter 3, first couple of verses. Uh, put in one word. You will not surely die. The use of those words, that lie, which is what it was, a lie, uh, caused mankind to stumble, to sin, to be kicked out of the garden. We are still dealing with the repercussions of that sin to this day. Brothers, in Genesis, the Bible said, because of Adam's sin, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow. If you're a brother in here working right now, you're working by the sweat of your brow. Some 2,000 years after Christ's death, you're working by the sweat of your brow. Ladies, uh, those who've had children, uh, you do understand that in Genesis, because of the sin, God said, this is going to be how it's going to play out when you give birth to children. I know we got medicine and all now that makes the pain a little easier to bear. But God said, you're going to have pain during childbearing and through birth. This lie set things in order very differently such that men, man, Adam and Eve kicked out of the garden, the lifestyles of mankind very different. A thing that is not uh, harped on much, but did you know that even in the garden, y'all before the sin, did y'all know that man and animal, everybody were, everybody ate herbs and leaves? I could, I could walk right next to a lion in the garden. He wasn't worried about eating me. I wasn't on the menu. I wasn't worried about eating him. He was not on the menu. I don't encourage you to go walking up next to a lion now. Uh, you are on the menu, right? Uh, the point is, it set so many things on a different course, all because of a lie. Y'all remember Ananias and Sapphira? I'm not going to read it, but in Acts chapter 5, write it down. Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 10. Here you had a husband and wife who sold a possession. And they told themselves, uh, when we're asked about it, here's what we're going to say. And it was a lie. And the husband went first went before the apostles and said, when they asked him the question, is this what you sold this, uh, this what you sold the possession for? Yep, I'm paraphrasing. Acts chapter 5, 1 through 10. Write it down, read it. Ananias, is this what you sold the possession for? Yep, that's what I sold it for. He knew it was a lie. He dropped dead on the spot. Brothers came and got him, took him out and buried him. The Bible says that his wife came a little piece afterwards didn't know what had happened to her husband. Ask her, same question. Is this what you sold this for? Now her and Ananias had already uh, conjured up their story. It was a lie. But she was running the play that was called. I'm going to lie and tell this same story that you told. What happened to her? The same thing that happened to her husband. Killed dead on the spot. As I read through that in the context of what we're talking about this morning, well, I'm showing up glad uh, God has a whole heaping helping of grace and mercy, because if he struck us dead for lying, uh, the building would be empty. You'd have no preacher talking to you either, all right? The point here is, y'all, God hates a lying tongue. And so my message to us, again, just to reinforce Solomon's words is, stop lying. I ain't saying it's easy, but you need to start somewhere. Stop lying. It wasn't a lie. I just didn't tell the whole truth. That's a lie. 
Stop lying. I didn't, I didn't tell a lie. I just didn't want to hurt his feelings. I didn't want to hurt her feelings. Uh, that's a lie. Stop lying. There's a story of a store manager who uh, heard uh, his clerk, uh, the cashier, talking to a customer. And uh, the cashier said, no, ma'am, uh, we haven't had any for a while. And it doesn't look like we'll be getting any anytime soon. Uh, the manager was horrified and came running over into the interaction and said, you know, ma'am, we're going to get some soon. We, we already put some on order and pulled the, the cashier aside and said, don't you ever, ever tell a customer that we don't have something. You tell them we've ordered it and it's on the way. Right. That's how we run this business. And so he went on to say, uh, we what did you what did the, the customer? What was it that she ordered and what did she want? The cashier said rain. I'll let that sink in. An interaction between two people where she said, I want rain. We, don't, we haven't had any in a while. Won't be getting any soon. Conversation between two folks. Here you got a fella from the outside looking in, busting the cashier in the head. You don't ever tell a customer we don't have something, right? Ready to rush in and tell a lie. We ordered some. It's on the way. Bro, we were talking about rain. You can't order rain like that. You don't have any on back order. Again, helping reinforce the message that, y'all, we need to stop lying. Why? Because it has impact on us. It has impact on the people who we deal with. And sometimes the impact can last for generations. And again, we didn't, we didn't say murder. Not that that is clearly a sin. But, y'all, we're talking about things that we as children of God, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves caught up in it. And before we know it, we're so far from the Lord, we don't even know it. Uh, and we've talked about before with this proud look. If we're not careful, even as children of God, sometimes when we, other Christians, get out there, uh, sometimes we struggle with going to get them. And that's a problem in and of itself. We'll talk about that another day. But the point here is, y'all, be thoughtful about your words. Lying, God hates. And because he hates it, we ought to hate it. And because he hates it, we ought to work hard not to do it. Hands that shed innocent blood. This is the next one. Hands that shed innocent blood. Y'all, we live in a world of haters. Murderers, snitches, rats from evil and crooked members of law enforcement, serial killers, racists who will take your life just because they can. Y'all, the list goes on and on. God hates the hands of those who shed innocent blood. They killed his son, Jesus Christ, who we knew and we know had no sin, no sin in him had done no wrong, but we killed him. And notice I said the we, we killed him when he had done no wrong. Look at Matthew chapter 14. Turn over to Matthew 14. I'm not going to read all of this, but I'll give you, you'll recognize it when you see it. Matthew chapter 14, first 12 verses. Matthew 14, verses 1 through 12. Matthew 14, verses 1 through 12. Again, this is the story of John the Baptist and John the Baptist being beheaded. Hands that shed innocent blood. If you drop down, and I'll just read, I'll read a few of the verses. Matthew 14, 1 through 12. I'll go ahead and read a few of them. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He is risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. For Herod had laid hold on John and bound him and put him in prison. 
for Herodias' sake, his brother, Philip's wife. For John said unto him, it is not lawful for thee to have her. So you have John the Baptist who is trying to get some folks right. Folks with, sleeping with other folks' wives. John the Baptist is trying to get them straight and trying to help them understand what they ought and ought not do. And here we start to see this plot unfold where it will ultimately cost John the Baptist his life. In verse number four, in verse number five, and when he would have put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday was kept, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. Whereupon he promised with an oath to give her whatsoever she would ask. And she, being before instructed of her mother, said, Give me here John Baptist's head and a charger. And the king was sorry. Nevertheless, for the oath's sake, and them which sat with him at meat, he commanded it to be given her. And he sent and beheaded John in the prison. Here you had a person who was trying to get folks to understand truth and do what is right. You have some drinking, you got some partying, you got some foolish oaths being made, and as a result, you have an innocent one who has his life taken. Again, reminding us, y'all, that God hates those who shed innocent blood, and we can ask ourselves, this is not just about a court of law, but are we find ourselves in a position where we are harming the innocent? Consider the damage that we do to those who are unable to protect themselves, our children, those who are not, don't have all the mental faculty uh, uh, that others have. And we find ourselves, particularly as a society, taking advantage of individuals like that. And the reminder for us as children of God is that God hates it. And so for us, it ought not be. And is a reminder that we find ourselves not, as Solomon states here, finding ourselves having hands that shed innocent blood. Next is a heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Y'all, there are some evil folks in the world. And that should not come as a surprise. There are some evil folks in the world uh, who conjure up some pretty terrible things. And if we're not careful, uh, we can find ourselves in a position where we, too, are conjuring up some pretty terrible things. Now, is it as terrible as beheading, having someone beheaded? Maybe not that terrible, especially when we think about wanting to put levels on things. But let me go through a couple of examples here, and let's uh, see if this doesn't resonate maybe just a bit more. Uh, Vanessa watches uh, a lot of true crime shows on TV, uh, like First 48 and Dateline, uh, Snapped, right, those programs. She watches them. Uh, I really don't like those programs, <laughs> right? I, I really don't like them. Uh, and, but it may not be for the reasons you think, right? Um, it's not because they, they scare me, right, keep me up at night. That, that's not why. Uh, it's not even because I'm thinking she's trying to come up with a plan, right, to get rid of her brother, right? Although if something happened to me, y'all better make sure they question her, all right? I'm just saying, I'm going to leave that over here, but I'm just going to say that. Here's why I don't like them. I don't like them because they make me sad. No, I'm not talking about, uh, y'all, it burdens my spirit, those shows. Why? Because that stuff is real. It really bothers me to see the reality, y'all, that we got some evil folks in this world who can take step back and plot something out that is so devious and it is so evil, and oftentimes they get away with it. 
So I don't like the shows, again, not because of any reason. If you like them, keep on watching them, right? Uh, this is me. I don't watch them because they make me sad. Uh, and it messes my whole spirit up, y'all, for watching them. I pass by minutes almost like a kid where I got to, I want to plug my ears and cover my eyes because it is, I can't deal with this, y'all. There's enough stuff going on. I personally cannot deal with those shows, all right? But that is the reason why. And when Solomon says God hates uh, a heart that divides it, uh, wicked imaginations, do y'all remember in 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11? Again, I won't read it, but y'all remember Uriah? The whole story of David and Bathsheba, this is one of the most amazing, amazingly evil plots, right, that, uh, that you can make a movie out of this one right here, right? I'm not going to read it, but, but mark down and read it on your own, 2 Samuel chapter 11. I'm paraphrasing here, right? I'm giving you the Cliff Notes version. David was a king. He came out one day and saw Bathsheba on the roof taking a bath. Bathsheba was beautiful. David sent and said, bring her to me. He slept with her. She got pregnant. Bathsheba was married to a man named Uriah. And Uriah was a loyal servant of David, fought in the army, was away at battle at the time that David sent for Bathsheba to sleep with her. So David now is like, man, I don't, he's a king, but he's like, man, this ain't, this ain't right. Uh, so let me send for Uriah out of battle, bring him back home, all right? And when Uriah came, he said, go, go, go home and be with your wife. Uh, hoping that he would go home, sleep with his wife, so it would not be known that it was David's baby, all right? Uriah went to uh, his home, but he stayed outside. He didn't go in. He was not with his wife uh, because, again, he is a loyal soldier. He is focused on battle. I'm here to protect. The, I'm here for, for you, King David. I'm here. I'm a soldier. I don't want to be distracted. He, he stayed outside. So now that part of the plan is all messed up because David is, okay, he didn't go in and sleep with his wife. So this is still about to be known that this is my baby. So what does he do next? He called for another soldier and said, you send Uriah into the hottest part of the battle, right? Basically put him on the front line where I know he's going to die. And sure enough, Uriah was sent to the heat of the battle where he died, all right? And it was David's best friend who came to him afterwards and said, but just, I got a situation for you just to consider. What if you had somebody that had everything? And you had somebody who had nothing but one little ewe lamb, and that person who had everything took that one little ewe lamb that this person had. David was incensed. He needs to pay. He needs to pay for his actions, right? He's beating his chest, and, and his friend said, that, David, that's you. That's exactly what you have done. You are the king, yet you took all that Uriah had. And because of David's actions, the Bible said that the sword or crisis or calamity would never leave his household. And sure enough, as you read through the rest of scripture, challenge and crisis and pain never left David's household because he, again, in his own mind, these wicked imaginations, the message here for us, y'all, is uh, that may seem like an outlandish plot and a scheme, but I will ask us, uh, how many of us have found ourselves thinking up some pretty bad stuff? And sometimes uh, our plans have come to fruition. Uh, it could have been plotting against uh, a co-worker, a boss, a parent, right, a friend, a so-called neighbor, right? Uh, the point here is, y'all, this is not so far-fetched even for us. It might not have been that elaborate. None of us are kings, uh, but y'all, some of us do stuff we ought not do, and it's wicked in how it was devised. And in order to cover it up, 
we will go through some extreme lengths to make sure that that dirt is not uncovered. And the, the bad news is, uh, y'all, God knows. He sees everything that we do. And so the message for us is, God hates it, so I should hate it. And because he hates it, well, I want to work hard not to do it. Next one is, let's look at feet that be swift in running to mischief. Y'all, these are all ones that uh, I would tell us that we, we all have to be thoughtful. We all have to be careful. Turn to Isaiah 59. Isaiah 59. And I will look at the first seven verses. Isaiah 59. And let's look at verses 1 through 7. Isaiah 59, verses 1 through 7. And we're almost there, y'all. Isaiah 59, 1 through 7. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you, that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood, and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies, your tongue hath muttered perverseness. None calleth for justice, nor any pleadeth for truth. They just in vanity and speak lies. They trust in vanity and speak lies. They conceive mischief and bring forth iniquity. They hatch, they hatch uh, cockatrice eggs and weave the spider's web. He that eateth of their eggs dieth, and that which is crushed breaketh out into a viper. Their webs shall not become garments, neither shall they cover themselves with their works. Their works are works of iniquity. And the act of violence is in their hands. Their feet run to evil, and they make haste to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Wasting and destruction are in their paths. Feet that are quick to rush into evil can be viewed as sort of this enthusiastic and complete involvement in doing things that dishonor uh, the Lord. Uh, this happens when we know what to do, we know what is right, uh, but we choose simply not to do it. Um, when things that we know are bad, and we know that they are wrong, and we know that in advance, uh, but we literally or figuratively run straight to it. This is what the Bible is referring to. Solomon is referring to common wrongdoings that we ought to be able to relate to, such things but not limited to gossip, rebellion, assassination of character. Do y'all remember uh, earlier this year when the folks stormed the Capitol building? This is not about race. It's not about politics. When I read, when I read Proverbs 6, 16 through 19, and I compare it to what happened in our nation's capital, Everybody who participated in that riot, I don't care what color they were, I don't care what their political affiliation was, this is what Solomon is talking about, a perfect example. Feet swift to run into mischief. There ain't a person uh, on the planet, uh, again, unless they choose to be uh, ignorant or unaware, uh, did not know that, y'all, it ain't right for you to go storming no Capitol building. Uh, and so, folks, when I saw it, the first thing that came to mind was scripture, which is, man, look how right Solomon is, right? Not that I needed confirmation, but... Look at this playing out right before our eyes. 
We here on earth are focusing on the politics of it, the race of it. I'm not saying there's not an element to that, but the reality is, y'all, we're talking Bible. When we started by saying all scripture is inspired by God and it is profitable, those folk would have benefited by reading some Proverbs to know that God hates this. Your feet are swift to run to mischief, right? Couldn't wait to get to the Capitol building and run amok, right? And here Solomon is saying, y'all, it's dead wrong. God hates it. Why is it wrong? It's not because I said it. It's wrong because the Bible said it, right? Feet that are swift to move uh, towards mischief. Another example or story that I, I thought was relevant here. There were, there were four preachers, and I threw the term preach, four preachers who uh, came together for lunch, uh, and they wanted to just spend some quality time and get caught up. And uh, during the conversation, one of the preachers said, um, our members, they always come to us with their problems to talk to us, uh, to get advice. Why don't we do that, right? Why don't we share some of our innermost secrets just with each other because it's helpful, it's needful, right? It's, it's therapeutic. So why don't we talk to each other, just the four of us, have this conversation? So it took a while, uh, but in due time, all four agreed that uh, I'll share some inner secret with just the other three of you uh, because we're here, we're brothers, and I'm going to share it, all right? So the first uh, preacher went, and he uh, shared his uh, secret, and he said, well, I confess that I have a foul mouth, right? When I'm not around y'all, man, I cuss like a sailor, right? And, was, and again, there was no response. It wasn't the kind, let's talk about it. It's just share openly what it is that you, uh, that you struggle with. The first one said, I got a foul mouth. I cuss like a sailor. The other one said, uh, I got a close personal relationship with Crown Royal, all right? I got a problem with, with drinking. That's what the second person uh, shared. The third person shared that I have a wandering eye. I struggle with looking upon and lusting after women who are not my wife. And so again, remember, they started this conversation about let's just share the, the struggles that you have. It's just the four of us, share it. When you got to the fourth person, uh, he said, mm, I don't know. And it took some encouraging. They were pressing him. Come on, man. Uh, we shared ours. You need to share yours. What is your issue? It took a little while, but uh, the fourth man eventually said, my silent issue is gossiping. And I can't wait to leave this meeting today. <laughs> Here's the point. Y'all, we all struggle. And when Solomon is sharing with us to, you know, that when our feet are quick to run to, to mischief, you know, is that we just take a step back and are mindful because, again, how easy it gets for us to say, oh, that's somebody else's issue, or it's not as bad as this or as bad as that. You know, God is watching. God knows. A false witness. Let me move on. We just have a couple to go. A false witness that speaketh lies. In Proverbs chapter 19 and verse 5. Proverbs 19 and verse 5. Turn over there quickly. Proverbs 19 and 5. Proverbs 19 and 5. You can read it on the screen. A false witness shall not be unpunished, and he that speaketh lies shall not escape. We talked about this before. Y'all, we stand before an all-knowing, all-seeing God. And as much as we like to hide things from other people, and as successful as we can be in hiding it from mankind, y'all, God sees and God knows. And the important thing about that is that because he sees and because he knows, we ought to know what his desire is for our lives, and we ought to just work as hard as we can, y'all, to fall in alignment with his will. Why? Because he knows, he sees. And again, because we find ourselves struggling at times, uh, that we not give up. 
because he sent his son who died on the cross, whose blood continues to cover us even today. So when we fall, okay, you failed. Now get up and keep moving because that's what God expects. A false witness that speaketh lies. Most people understand this. Again, we talk about in a court of law, sometimes people want to make that connection, which is fine. Uh, but while this is true, y'all, there's a whole lot more to testifying uh, and to witnessing uh, and being a false witness than just in a court of law. Uh, consider uh, false witnessing as it relates to rumors in the church even. Y'all, churches, we struggle with, uh, you hear words thrown around over the years where, you know, clicks or whatever words you want to use where some of us uh, can sit up in here and sing all morning long, oh, how I love Jesus, and can't get 30 yards to the parking lot and ain't talking about somebody up in here, right? Again, do I say that about anyone in particular? No, I'm getting us to all in examine ourselves because the fact that I can sit in here and sing praises to the Lord, hand raised high, for two hours, and within 30 seconds flat, I'm in the parking lot talking bad about God's people. I had to remind myself as an elder, and this is, this is something that is hard, y'all, uh, that uh, y'all God's people, right? And when I say that, here's what I mean, right? I love y'all. I, I, love, I love serving God's people. I love it, but it's hard because people are people, right? Uh, some folks look you in the face and say some things to you that, uh, Test your Christianity. And because you're an elder, uh, you ain't supposed to say nothing back, right? Uh, I remind everybody that I'm a human, too, all right? And uh, I only say that to say, uh, please understand that I'm a human, too. And I got to struggle sometimes to not clap back, too, right? I got to work hard not to say things, too. So don't push your brother, right? <laughs> right? No, nah, and I'm saying that not to be, uh, I'm not saying that to be like hard, like don't push, but kind of, right? But I'm, no, I'm really saying, because I don't push you, right? I'm not going to step to you and push you over the line, right? Because it is not right to do. So all I'm saying is as a, as a servant in the Lord's church, y'all don't push a brother, right? Because I'm working hard to try to stay on the right side myself, and it does not help to have God's folk. Now, I expect people on the job to push a brother, all right? I expect that. So I go to work ready, all right? Uh, even working from home, right? I got to get on the Zoom call mentally ready for these devils out here who's trying to s stretch a brother out, right? I already know what they're trying to do. I don't expect that up in here, all right? It's my point. And uh, because I don't expect it up in here, I'm not going to give it up in here. So you, I'm the one you ain't got to worry about here pushing you over the line, testing you, uh, and having you gird up just because, no, this ought to be that safe place, y'all, where we can come, be uplifted, edified, encouraged spiritually so that we can prepare for the world out here. So if you find yourself uh, caught up uh, doing things you ought not do, the rumor mill is strong, y'all. It's strong on the job, in the community, in our homes, and even in the church. The point is, y'all, God hates it. And because he hates it, we ought to hate it as well. Let me move on to the last one, and then I'm done, taking my seat, all right? Y'all, we, the last one is he just sold discord among brethren. He this sows discord among brethren. This is one that uh, they're all, the Bible says God hates them all. And I'll just focus on this one, not any more than the others, but this is one that it hits, it hits a little different, all right, at least for me. Because it talks specifically about sowing discord. And I got to share with you all, I've been in the church since I was 18 years old. And I've lived in different cities all over the U.S., 
And there have been just a couple of things that I've found to be universal everywhere I've been around the country. And it's just, I'm talking specifically to black churches now. I've just found this to be. I didn't make it up. I don't, I'm just observing. Number one is uh, we have a lot of splits, right? I mean splits, churches that two or three folks get upset. I'm going to go start my own work over here. And they will keep a work going with four members three blocks away from another congregation. But they're going to keep this separate work because of whatever reason. And when you, that, that's one, and I'm going to tie it into this next thing. I have seen churches split, y'all, over some of the most foolish things. Now, those are my words, over some of the most foolish things. I've been to some congregations where they have split because some folks didn't agree that you ought to eat in the building. Some folks who didn't agree that you should or could have a church van. Folks who didn't agree on whether communion should be at the beginning of service or at the end of service. Y'all, I'm saying this because God hates it, I hate it. We ought not be a people, Christians, believers, who allow ourselves to stumble and be tripped over things, y'all, that God has made clear and pure in his word. Y'all, we got to stop. It is not okay. And we're going to have to answer. And back to what makes eldering hard is because I know that I'm going to be asked some different questions than y'all. When I stand before the Lord, you might not specifically have to answer to what conversations did you have with other elders about some of this stuff that's been going on for generations? And y'all, I have to have an answer prepared for the Lord. And I'm not saying this for sympathy, for empathy, for anything, just telling you why this stuff gets to be real, which is I have to have an answer prepared for the Lord, which is what did I say? What conversations did I have? What influence did I attempt to, to garner over and with individuals who is how we just going to be three blocks from each other? How are we going to be this close with each other and refusing to fellowship? How do we allow for ourselves to be separated from other brothers, right? Because this whole race thing in our country is real. Most of us will say with a straight face, I ain't worshiping with them. And they will say, I ain't worshiping with them. Y'all, we're going to have to give an answer. And again, this, uh, this eldering thing uh, that is so important to me, uh, I struggle at times with, what am I going to tell the Lord? Well, now I look at this and say there are individuals who sow discord in the Lord's church and split us up and break us down where we are not effective. Again, I've been to cities where you have congregations, 20 of them, all of them 10 members or less, and they insist on being a, a separate congregation, which is you cannot tell me that if we did not come together, lock arms and focus our efforts, that we could not do a better job evangelizing this community. Again, back to that very first thing, pride. I ain't trying to work with you. Who's going to be in charge? God's in charge, right? He ain't gave any of us a title of charge. All of us are servants, and I'm a chief servant. I'm not in charge of nothing, all right? But again, it helps us remind, helps us focus on the fact that, y'all, when we see discord being sown amongst the brothers, turn over to Romans 16 and 17. Just two scriptures, and I'm, I really am sitting down. Romans 16 and 17. Romans 16 and 17. Romans 16 Verse number 17. Now I beseech you, brethren, 
Mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned and avoid them. Paul is telling Christians in Rome that there are some folks who are going to intentionally cause division amongst God's people. And Paul's instruction to the church in Rome is hard for us to deal with sometimes, which is you need to mark them. You need to identify who they are. And you need to avoid them. That's tough for some of us because sometimes the person who's doing the dividing is a family member. Sometimes the person doing the dividing is a close friend. And sometimes the person doing the dividing is us. Y'all, God hates division. We, he's taught us through his son, Jesus Christ, through the apostles, through the disciples from the very beginning that his expectation of us is unity, that we are as one, and that's never going away. Turn to just Psalms 133 and 1. 133 and 1 is the last scripture I'll read. Psalms 133 and 1. Words of David, 133, chapter 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. If you want to know how to deal with the challenges that we see in front of us, the struggles of life and how God hates what he hates, and because he hates it, I can be comfortable hating it too. And because he hates it, I can take the next step and say, Lord, I want to work hard not to do it because you hate it. As children of God, we all are going to have to stand before the Lord one day. And we're going to have to give an account for what we've done, give an account for what we've said, give an account for what we've failed to do and what we have failed to say. I'll leave you with this. Solomon lays out some very specific things for us to note when it comes to what God's hate. Our eyes uh, were once haughty and proud full of pride, filled with negativity, used to look down on others. Uh, now we can use those same eyes to find out the good things that others are doing for God's will, appreciate them, and reinforce their value in the sight of God. In the past, we used our tongues to lie, to deceive. Now we can use them to encourage one another and build one another up. In the past, we used our hands to shed innocent blood, now we can put them to good use, serving the Lord and serving his people. In the past, we exposed our hearts to every kind of evil, which gave way to evil imaginations and impure thoughts. Now that Christ has given us a new heart, we must guard it closely and be holy so God can use us as he desires. In the past, we used our feet to rush into evil. Now we can use them to rush to the defense and to the aid of the needy. In the past, we spread false testimony, tearing others down wrongly, unnecessarily. Now we should spread the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the good news of the freedom that Christ offers to all of those who come to him. In the past, we stirred up mess in the community, on our jobs, and even in the church. Now we commit ourselves to promoting unity, love, and the peace that passes understanding. If you're a member of the Lord's Church this morning, perhaps 
you've been guilty of some of these things. You don't owe me an explanation, uh, but you owe God one because of his sacrifice and giving his son, Jesus Christ, for all of us. And because of all that he does for us even now, uh, we owe it to him to get it right with him. Uh, but we owe it to ourselves because if it is not right with him, well, we're going to miss uh, our shot at heaven. If you're not a member of the Lord's church, you come to him now the same way it has been since the beginning, which is you have to hear the word of God, which you have heard. Believe the things that you have heard. Repent. Just turn from the things you're doing contrary to the will of God. Confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and you've got to go down in water. Again, living in the world we live in now, baptism is being de-emphasized and even uh, uh, set aside as even being important in, uh, for our salvation. And we know that not to be true. So if, whether you're a member of the Lord's church and you just need prayer, you need encouragement, or perhaps you're not a member of the Lord's church and you need to put him on in baptism, I would encourage you to not wait much longer. It doesn't take uh, uh, an expert to know that folks are dying every day. All ages, all races, all political affiliations. And if you're not right with the Lord, I pray that you will do so. Make that uh, age-old but critical decision uh, today.